Welcome to the Legacy Makers Podcast. At Legacy Makers, we believe that family is the foundation of society. And if you can change a family, you will change the world. The Legacy Makers Podcast is dedicated to bringing you relative, inspiring, and educational content to help you build and leave the legacy you intend to leave. If this episode encourages you or inspires you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation at www.chooseourlegacy.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey, hey, hey. Well, welcome back, everybody. So thankful you guys decided to tune in today. We're coming back. It's mid-February, and uh, it's been a bit since we've actually uh, had a show. And so this is super exciting. And this is, you know, this is cool because it's actually a continuation of, a little bit of a continuation of our last show where we had uh, Dr. Andy Garrett um, here in-house today. Uh, or last time, and he's back today, should I say. And uh, so we're super excited to continue the conversation um, just around family, family psychology, um, and just hear all the great wisdom that Andy has and has experienced and has learned over uh, just the course of his career. Um, And so thank you guys again for just jumping in. Thanks for being here. It's going to be a great time. Today's today's topic, though, is I was a little bit uh, piqued. Uh, when I heard about it and started processing it. And it's all about uh, social comparison and really how that relates to our family and uh, what we experience in our family, but really the psychology of social comparison, the psychological impacts of social comparison and how that affects uh, our life in family. And uh, so that is the topic today, but let's just dive right in and just talk about what is social comparison? What is it? Maybe Andy, if you want to just chime in here and give us a little bit of a, an overview of what are we talking about here? That'd be awesome. First off, I love that you're feeling peaked. That, uh, that was great. <laughs> yeah, feeling it. <laughs> um, so, you know, interestingly, as I was doing a little prep work uh, for this, I uh, was looking at the kind of theory of social comparison. And some of the original theory that came out was, I think, in the 1950s, uh, Dr. Festinger, if I'm getting the name right. Mm. Um, but he originally conceptualized it as a, as a healthy thing, right? It was this mm. idea that we all do this naturally, right? It happens even in childhood. Um, and that it helps us to understand our place in the world, right? Mm. It helps to actually shape our sense of identity. Oh, wow. Um, now, I think, you know, social media has taken the idea of uh, social comparison and kind of put it on steroids. I would disagree, right? I don't think our sense of identity should come from comparing ourselves to mm. other people. You yeah. know, there's kind of upward comparison and downward, right? Mm. So there's upward in the sense that we're comparing ourselves to people that are further along that might be you know, more successful than us, might be stronger than us, whatever those things are. And usually that tends to create feelings of in, insecure, in, insecurity, mm. right? It can really create feelings of uh, envy. It can be a lot of unhealthy things. Totally. Unless you have a clear idea of why you're going into something trying to compare, right? Sometimes someone that's further along can be inspiring. But I yeah. think if you're mindlessly just kind of scrolling through, more often than not, it's a very unhealthy thing, right? And even yeah. when you're comparing yourself downward, so that you're saying, well, I'm further along, right? I'm more successful. I'm further along in these things. Mm. It creates a, a very short-term kind of benefit. So there might be a sense of like, hey, I'm feeling pretty great today, right? I'm much better than all these people. 
but it leaves kind of a, a constant never ending, right? So that your sense of self-worth, your sense of identity is, is basically never set. You know, yeah. you're constantly comparing yourself. Totally. So to me, I think it's a very unhealthy thing. Mm. You know, we focus on uh, what I help people with to find their true North identity. And what yeah. I like about the concept of true North, I don't know if you guys are familiar with true North versus magnetic North. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A bit. So magnetic North is, is actually, you know, with a compass, it's never actually set. It's constantly reading the electromagnetic field of the environment of the earth. Right. Mm. And so it very rarely actually lines up with true North, which is a stable fixed point, you know, with faith, you know, I think our true north should always be fixed. Yeah. It points directly to God. Mm. But, you know, when our sense of identity is always kind of reading the environment, who am I in my group of friends? Who am I at church? Who am I at home? It creates almost a sense of moral relativism, mm. right? That sense of, you know, what is right and wrong? What do I do? Who am I? Am yeah. I good in this context? Am I better in that one? So I don't know if that all makes sense, but social comparison is, is essentially, you know, when you really just you know, barrel, uh, kind of boil it down to the, to its basis is just how you compare yourself. You know, it's always you comparing yourself to other people. Either upward or downward. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, would you, doubling back to that metaphor of the magnetic north is what you're saying, am I reading it right, that the true north makes sense to me. It's fixed upon God. The, the common Christian truism would be, you know, I know who I am and whose I am. So you're declaring who, the identity piece and, the, and, a, and an ownership piece that you're, you know, son or daughter of God. Um, so that part's clear, but the, is, the, is the magnetic side, meaning like that we lose the north based on all these other um, people groups, essentially? Like it, it's, it's, it's liable or it's probable to bounce around may not be, you know, a perfect kind of comparison. No, right? no, I like it. Yeah. I just want to sure I got it. Well, I'm just, I'm sure there are some people out there that are like hikers or, you know, that, that really, yeah. and they might be like, well, magnetic North is amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think in this comparison, right. It is the idea is that instead of just having a clear sense of, Hey, I feel secure and settled in who I am. Right. I'm constantly everywhere I go. I'm, I'm looking to say, right. Mm. What is right and wrong? Who am I? Where's my value coming from? Right. What makes me who I am? And so there's no kind of set sense of what makes you who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, so who you are, you, you kind of compartmentalize in that, in that regard. Right. Yeah. You see this thing with a lot of people that they're one person at church on Sunday. Yeah. They're a different pers person mm -hmm. at home. And it's it's really tiring. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really you know bad way to try and go about things. Because you're constantly shifting, right? And, and I think it can lead to not only f fatigue around identity, but it leads to people really take, get, getting way off course in certain areas of their life and justifying it in ways that I think can be very unhealthy. Hmm. Yeah, you could like, affect your whole debt. No wonder those often go together. If they're two big God-sized questions, destiny and identity, no wonder one you know, leads to the other. I think that's a profound point. Mm, love that. The, the other thing, I'm sure we're just jumping into interviewing Andy right now because I think it's <laughs> I can so, love it. I love so it. good right <laughs> now. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I was, I was thinking about the fatigue thing, right? As you said, I thought that was so good. People losing their way yeah, and, um, it being tiresome. Oh, I lost my question, but well, my, my, my interjection is the first thing that comes to mind as you're speaking about it is it just, it reminds me that, that it's just, it's just a faulty foundation. Yeah. It's not, it's not secure by nature. Yep. Having, or, you know, comparison in general or living in, in kind of that state you know, whatever, whether it's up or down, it just, it feels like it's faulty. Like it's, it's going to crumble at some point. Yeah. It, it can lead to, I mean, so I'll go ahead and jump into a personal example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was younger, right. I didn't really have a clear sense of, you know, where my worth or value mm. came from. And I can remember a specific moment in high school. It was the first day, freshman year, went to a massive high school, it was like 4,000 students there. Oh, wow. I came from a tiny feeder school 
And the friends that I did have from there, you know, they all played football. And so they made friends that way. Yeah. I was six foot two and weighed about 140 pounds. So I was like, I don't know football. <laughs> I think I put, I wore a, a tank top one day to, to school and friends like, don't, don't do that again. That's, <laughs> that's not a good look. <laughs> so I didn't do football. Mm. So first day, and there was like three lunches. It didn't ha- happen to be that the, you know, lunch period I had wasn't with my friends. And so I had no one to sit with. And so I went to mm. a group of strangers and asked if I could just sit with them. And they actually said, no, you know, this, this, this is taken. <laughs> And I felt this sense of shame, right? And I remember thinking I made an internal agreement with myself that day. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be liked, right? I'm going to do whatever it takes to become popular. So that essentially became my true north. But in that yep. process, yep. right, I got really good wherever social groups I was in mm. is kind of reading who do they need me to be yeah. in order for them to like me. And it was different, right? So I'd tell mm. different stories. I'd be a different person, right? My personality would shift and change depending on what I thought people needed me to be. So I could be at a party, you know, I got, I certainly made it into that popular crowd, but I felt like the loneliest person in the room, right? Mm -hmm. Because I was always afraid at some point people are going to get together and they're going to share stories about, you know, what I'm saying to them. I'm going to be exposed as a fraud. Mm -hmm. So is that sense, right, of, of, you know, social comparison and how this relates to that is if you don't have a secure base for what makes you who you are, right? If there's not a foundation of that, it just creates a kind of this constant insecurity and you're, you know, going into each environment, trying to figure things out. And, and I just, I don't think that is a very solid foundation. So yeah. reinforcing back what you, what you said. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And it can create an identity crisis. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Trying to find who you are in, in different settings, like you're saying, I completely agree with, and, mm-hmm. and you brought up the fact that, That's you know, people can put on oneself in church and oneself in different areas of their life. But I would, um, have you considered that it might be one of the greatest threats to the Christian church is, you know, playing the part and, and, you know, playing Christianity, basically, um, putting on perfection, not as a result of, Hey, life looks good because it is good because I'm at the center of God's will, but that life looks good so that I can fit in here at church and, and actually probably, um, creating even more separation between, those who God may be calling into that space and them not feeling like it's a space they can step into because their life doesn't look like that. But really mm-hmm. that's, that's the home for somebody to come who is in shambles and find that true foundation. But when we're putting on this front and this facade there, there is no foundation there, yeah. right? There's just that's good a gap yeah. between us and the foundation. Yeah. And I think that's where you get sometimes the insincerity or the inauthenticity, right? Where whether, you know, someone putting on the act of who they think they should be, but there's not a sense of them really feeling bought in. And so a lot of times it, you know, it, there, it can lead to them making very bad choices where their public life is very incongruent with their private life, right? And that, uh, that, that usually doesn't tend to have great outcomes. Mm. Yeah, I love Pete Scazzaro on that. And he's just saying what other guys have said in your line of work, Andy, but they use the word integration. You know, that's a, that's a marker yeah. for health is that your inside matches your outside. Yeah. Which is just yeah. such a, I think a good, maybe a good vein of conversation would be, and you could help us, Andy, is like, what are maybe some practical steps to reconcile those two? You know, like I, I can only, again, I could speak from my own experience of just the last three years as a 30 something starting to mine just deeper and deeper into that inner self. I mean, it's an endless pit, man. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. of stuff I wasn't honest about stuff I never looked yeah. at before I tucked away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he would call that your authentic self when you finally get to that integrated whole, but what a lifelong journey to do it. What are some of the, what are some of even the, some of the steps um, that you see people take as they do that journey? 
I think sometimes the initial step, right, is just taking inventory of mm. where things are at. How did I get here, right? Sometimes before you can kind of pivot to something new, you need to be able to let go of the old, right? Kind yeah. of re- relates back to, I think, our, our last topic. Yeah. Sometimes you need to forgive. Sometimes you yeah, need to exactly. let go, right? Sometimes you need to do that. Um, I'll have sometimes clients do what we call a, a family genogram. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with those? Uh, not really. I think, I think you do something similar to this in, in the legacy. You're talking making. Like, family of war, like looking mm-hmm. back at your yeah. family. Yeah. So you do like three generations usually, right? So you do kind of yeah, your, yeah. Your, oh, okay. your parents, your grandparents, and sometimes if you know the great grandparents. And so you have like a, you know, usually a square is, you know, the, the, the man, the circle is the female. You can mix that up if you want. <laughs> you can do um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and you're looking at family, family patterns, right? So you're saying that my grandpa... You know, he oh, yeah. maybe health issues. This is he struggled with, uh, you know, whatever. These are the great strengths he brought. This is the impact he had. And it's amazing how in going that you can really see family patterns and you start to see the legacy that's been passed yeah. down to you, yeah. right? Exactly. And so I love in doing that, right? Helping then to say, all right, so this is the, the legacy. This is the sense of identity mm. that has been passed to you. Wow. Right here is a pivotal moment. What is it that you want to continue to carry forward? And what is it that right now you want to leave behind, right? Mm-hmm. If you're looking at the ripple effect you're creating going forward, how do you want to change the legacy, right? This is where I think your work is so, so amazing. Mm. Um, but sometimes I think that's an important thing is needing to accept wherever you're at or however, however you got there. And, and that kind of breaks the, the, the rigidity to sometimes, the, you know, what whatever wherever you're at with identity. Yeah. And then from there, I think it starts to focus on, all right, you know, I've got some element of closure on the past. You know, sometimes you need to do deep work and some therapy on that. Uh, sometimes it doesn't require that, right? Um, oftentimes, hmm. I, I don't think it necessarily does. But let me make sure. Some a theme that's come up recently uh, is is generational trauma, which kind of talks mm. about yeah. you know things that uh, what you're speaking to. And, and I think one way to overcome that is through that keyword authenticity, right? Your who's your authentic self, and which which leads to true awareness and clarity. Right. And then, right. And so when we're able to step into that and cultivate a place where people can be their authentic self and truly see where they're at, then it's not like it's enablement in any way. It's actually higher level accountability because now it's really the cards are on the table. Right. And then, and then it kind of shares this, uh, brings us first to my, my mind, which is change, change your hearts and show by the way you live that you have changed. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, how do we change our hearts if we don't realize there's a heart issue yeah. in the first place? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. Powerful Love verse. That. The integration between kind of head and heart. Um, the psychology program I went to, Azusa Pacific University, I was looking for an integration program. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I said this last time, but mm-hmm. um, there's different models of integration between yeah. psychology and theology. Right. Some have you get a master's in divinity and, and then a doctorate in psychology and you just kind of figure out where the intersection yeah. is. What I liked about APU is they said where psychology and theology come together is in your moral formation, right? Mm. And the values. That's where the practical reality is. Mm. So that really helped me to create, you know, coming out of grad school, a clear sense of, hey, I can help people spiritually, right? By helping them to get clear on their values and how to live in alignment with that so so that you are creating kind of that integration, right? Between, you know, your your faith, your, your heart, your head. And when you do, it's amazing what happens, right? When people yeah. start to live in alignment with their values. And I think it is the most powerful antidote to the social comparison, right? The more secure you feel okay. that you are and, you know, what you know to be important to you. Mm. So that instead of getting caught up in looking at, you know, comparing myself to the Joneses and saying, well, you know, I don't have as nice a car and their you know, grass looks greener, or, you know, 
Orange County, not everybody has uh, lawns, but, um, (laughs) um, you know, instead you you recognize this stuff doesn't matter, right? Uh, The more I'm focused on the things that I know that really matter, I feel, I feel strong. There's a sense of internal security that I'm focused on. And and so it helps to alleviate or eliminate the need or desire. You know, I think a lot of what, what causes a social comparison is a sense of self-uncertainty, Right. The totally. more uncertain we feel, we start wow. looking outside ourselves to try and figure out wh- who, who are we? Where, where do we fit in the pecking order? Dang. But if we feel more secure in that, you know, then, then a lot of times we don't feel the need. We feel, we feel almost like safe, you know, within yeah. ourselves. And so. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that just, that, that's, inter- that, that's deep right there. That, that's takes some processing to really think about. But what I'm hearing is it kind of is you're, you're, you're leading to almost like a, a, a step in how you can approach your maybe tendency towards comparison, which you're saying is to, to learn how to be secure and, or, and identify like what you value and who you are and, and attain security in that. Yeah. And, and, uh, first, right. I was on a, so, so kind of to our next question, it was like, what causes it, which you kind of mentioned, it's kind of just the psychological, natural development of our brains, but maybe you can expand on that. But, but, uh, I was on a coaching call, my coaching call this morning, and I'm reading this book right now called The Three Laws of Performance. It's a great book, but it's all about uh, how situations occur to you um, directly affect how you perform. And I'm in, in, it's in this section of the book where it's talking about integrity. So much of integrity is matching your word, like what comes out of your mouth, with what you do and who you are. And as you were saying earlier, integration is what matches from the inside to the outside. Yeah. And so I'm learning so much about the idea of what full, fully being fully integrated is. And it's when what I say matches exactly with what I do and who I am. And there's no differentiation. It's, it's complete, yeah. fully integrated. And uh, I say all that because um, this morning, as I was kind of reflecting and in conversation with him, I was just realizing, man, like, I was comparing myself, I, I compare myself often, probably from from the, uh, from the being in a place of looking up, comparing up to what I should have or what I don't have yet, um, and it was creating so much of a sense of, um, I mean, even back to like the last topic the, that we talked about, which is forgiveness, but so much of a sense of unforgiveness for myself, yeah. and I was like, okay, well, he was, he was coaching me. He was like, telling me like, well, come back to the vision. Like, who are you? Like, what do you want to be? And it was cool because I was able to kind of realign and, and, and kind of reconfigure myself and like what, you know, what I was doing and what I was committing to and what my word was. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I, I want to come back to that and really just kind of dial in like what, what tends to, to be the trigger for people in comparing and then like, how can you deal with it? Cause that was a good process for me, but like, how do we actually start, continuing the process of um, growing out of the comparison nature of ourselves. Well, I think you just did an awesome job of describing I think part of the process, right? Mm. Is getting clear on what yeah. it is, you know, who, who do you want to be? Yeah. You know, what does it mean for you to be your authentic self? You mm-hmm. know, what is it that's important to you? I think the more that that's the focus, you know, I think it really is a powerful, I'm sure I could ask, you know, for each of you, when you feel like you are in alignment, that you're acting out of integrity, that your actions are matching your words and your heart, um, I don't know. How do you yeah. guys feel? Do you feel secure? Do you feel confident? Do you feel, you know, 
Do you feel like that would be a good antidote to social comparison? Yeah. So I, yeah. I believe you, you already touched on the solution. I mean, you, you hit it and mm-hmm. I think we should just point it out for everybody and yeah. for ourselves right here. The solution is, is to be focused on the truth. And it kind of brings me up to this, um, this analogy that somebody shared with me one time, how do you spot an imposter, right? Well, hmm. he gave the, the, the guy's job is to s- stare at the dollar bills or the hundred dollar bills getting printed off the printing press. And he's staring at the real thing all day. So anytime a counterfeit <laughs> comes through, he spots it instantly. Wow. So the solution to this is to focus on what's true to affirm that truth consistently and, and passing that down onto our children as oh, well. If we're so really good, you know, so dialed in and basking in truth and any falsehood coming by is just going to be immediately spotted and called out. That's awesome. I've heard the parallel, the parallel analogy for that, for the kids related to kids is your sons who are, or daughters who play with Legos and uh, you know, there's all kinds of counterfeit Legos out there or just off brand Legos. <laughs> and these boys are trained, man. They're still team six. They can spot a counterfeit. You know? And it's the same thing. Right. Here. But what if you're in the opposite situation? Where you can't oh, you spot can a spot, truth yeah. because you're so stuck on that social Perfect. media feed wow. and just swallowing everybody's, you know, uh, whatever vomit. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty oh, yeah. much, you know, I just, yeah. if you spend 30 minutes scrolling, you're like, wow, I just ingested everybody's crap for 30 <laughs> minutes. Seriously. Right. And you're yeah. taking all that in. And most of it, oh, I mean, gosh. you know, social media just is a magnification of all this stuff too. Yep. Yeah. And, it, and it just kind of brings it all to the surface in such a high, a high level you used to, right. When we were kids, I don't know, some of you are pretty young here, but we used to have to go to like a friend's house to see their like pictures and stuff and what they did last summer. Right? Like their picture book. Ben, you ever heard of one of those? What is that? (laughs) (laughs) So now it's just like a live feed of what they ate for breakfast. I mean, this is like super heightened level of it, right? And so have you guys experienced recently at all where you've seen somebody's page, which is, oh my gosh, picture perfect. Like, wow, they've got it together. This life is absolutely perfect. And then you go over to their house and like it's chaos and they're just screaming at their kids and, you know, the kids are acting out but but i thought your life was perfect yeah. dude stop talking about the applebee's real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i was just gonna mess that if i could just be like the applebee's <laughs> no, that's the, we're the screaming messy house didn't you get that connection there? no oh, i guess not. that not pretends you. to be perfect exactly and there's well, nothing we, wrong with the screaming messy house but what's yeah, the challenge yeah, totally. is the the persona of perfection right. how yeah. is that sustainable mm. that can't be good for them and it's not good for those who are looking at it yep, yep. Well, how do you guys think that, you know, in light of that, how, how does that affect like our parenting and as men, as parents, as fathers, you know, and even in just general life, but like, like, how does that affect us? And, and specifically, you know, as we're talking about family, like as a parent, what could that do? I mean, in my mind, I'm, I'm immediately, uh, just going back to like, I mean, numerous, countless occasions where because of some perceived um, desire or a perception of what I maybe should I should have had or a way that I should be parenting or uh, an expectation that I have on my kids because I see someone else's kids or someone else on social media is just perfect family. It immediately like I, 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 I'm like getting pissed off at my kids. Like, why aren't you just being perfect? We're supposed to be, this is the way everyone is, right? Like we're all perfect. So I'm like, that's that that energy is translating into my my frustration towards my children who have no idea 
as an example, that's just, you know, that's just what came to mind. But how can that, like, how does this whole idea of like comparing ourselves and social comparison, how does it, how could it affect our parenting? It seems like it could be pretty drastic. Yeah. Uh, I know, I think, you know, the concept of identity, your, your identity essentially sets your direction, right? When you have a, a clear identity, you know, I think that's why I use the concept true north. You, mm. you, you know what points towards, yeah. you know, the, the things that motivate you, the goals you want to set those things. Yeah. But you, you have identity for your family too, right? And, and I think the most important role I have as a father, I think we have, I have as, as parents, is to help eliminate and reduce as much unnecessary ambiguity and uncertainty as we possibly can. So huh. that means... If I can help my kids yeah. so that they know exactly how I feel about them, right? Mm. They're not you know, questioning or second guessing wow. that I love them and support them. If I can help them to know what's important to our family, right? Yeah. That there's a clear sense of what my expectations are of them. They know what gets reinforced. They know what gets course corrected. That's good. You know, the more I can do that, it just eliminates kind of their need to guess, their need to, to try and figure it out. So it, it helps so to good. create clarity for them. So and they also know what's important. They know what their true north yeah. is, right? So. Yeah. Can you me. restate those three things that you said just before you started? I'm not sure if I even remember what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the, like creating clarity and then I can't remember. Eliminating yeah. uncertainty. Oh, yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I wrote it down. I'm taking notes. <laughs> that's so good. Creating clarity, eliminating uncertainty and ambiguity. Yeah. That, yeah. That's amazing. So I don't know good. if you guys realize Beto's over here. He's on the sticks. He's always helping control the mics here. But Thank you, Beto. Uh, you're working hard. You got, I know you got some, <laughs> some wisdom to share with us here. Yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> well, no, it's uh, so this is so good. Uh, what I'm thinking right now is that um, I kind of always tend to see how the Bible approaches psychology because I feel like at the end of it all, when we study psychology, we're really studying who we are as humans. And I think the Bible has everything to say about yeah. who we are as humans. Wow. So what do you think? What do you think put Jesus on the cross? Um, I think I was reading the Gospels at one point, and almost like from from start to finish. I think it might have been the message version because it feels it feels more like a story. Uh, so, anyways, I was reading it, and the word jealousy kept coming up again mm. and again mm. and again and again. Wow! And it, it almost seemed like wow, Jesus was put on a cross because people were jealous that he was doing good when reli- religiously he wasn't supposed to. Right on the Sabbath, on the yeah. you know, healing people that he shouldn't have been healing. So uh, when it comes to James, I was reading the, the, yeah, I guess James. He's got like specific words about jealousy and it says, uh, James 4.2, you want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. Oh, wow. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it, right? So, (laughs) I mean, it's just like the things you really need, you need to ask God for. And he'll provide, and then you don't need to look to anybody else to fulfill those, right? So, yeah, I always tend to like just put, maybe I'm I'm, I'm more like on the, (laughs) I don't know if it sounds like religious or spiritual, but... I don't want to be also like sound just like too spiritual, but I feel like that's good. Oh, that's what it means to me when I think of God and His work done on the cross and what all that means is uh, I can go to Him and ask Him for the things I need, and I don't I don't need to compare myself to what others do or don't have, and He's willing to give me what I need, 
right? Yeah. Which may not be what I think I need. Mm. Dang, I love or that. Or what I want. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say this is the, <clears throat> to draw this comparison necessarily as the polar opposite, but you think of how, you know, Jesus was crucified over jealousy, right? But who are, what are we seeing happen on social media and the credibility that's giving to, given to perhaps some of the least credible people hmm. where they're being praised and even worshiped the opposite put on a, yeah. on a pedestal. Yeah. I love um, what Andy's saying about his uh, family mission statement, really l- loosely about uh, you're really making a statement about attachment love. And so, you know, yeah. you got Dallas Willard and Jim mm. Wilder who wrote this book called uh, Renovated. Oh, and no, I, we have that book. We're reading it right it's now. It's profound. It's Dude. a w- amazing roadmap for, wow. for marrying the psychology and the it's theology that you're talking read. about. Nice. And, and as a, I'm only halfway through, but my summary would be they, they, they define chesed, which is this Hebrew mega concept in the, in the Old Testament Bible, um, faithful love or covenant love is what chesed means. And they're just, atta- exactly like you said, Beto, and they're just attaching that Hebrew word to the psychology of attachment parenting or attachment oh, love. Yeah. You can think of attachment parenting or love as co-sleeping. So you've got a newborn baby, and the newborn baby yeah. loves to lay next to mom or dad's body, right? Yeah. Um, and or you could take it there, and you could stretch that all the way to the prodigal son, right? Like yeah. the, the son is welcome. There's nothing that the son could ever do to get kicked out of that family system, attachment love. And that's what you said. We give race, clarity, and ambiguity, dot, dot, dot. His finished statement was about how loved they are. Yeah. You know, so at the end of their day, they'll never, ever have it be a wash or a question or confusion about how loved they are. I think that's huge. And I think that that, that fits in with my answer about, um, you know, how do yeah. we mitigate it or how do we help yeah. the next generation? And I think this is truly, because I didn't have any time to prep today, I'll, full admission, full... full. Um, Thanks for your honesty. Uh, confession <laughs> mode. Um, but it, I do think sometimes the Holy Spirit can work on the fly. And um, I'm not going to lie. I believe that um, the, what he just kind of revealed to me even in this uh, moment of listening to you guys mm. was um, the Shema. And so the Shema is um, Deuteronomy 6. Um, every good Jewish boy or girl would have had it memorized, maybe the whole chapter, not just the verse. But um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Um, the Lord is one, is one of the translations. It's called the Shema. It's this... Um, you know, this memory verse, just for lack of a better description, a memory verse for every modern day and ancient Jewish child. And you guys know this, and maybe the listener does too, but back then, um, you know, Jewish children and students would have had you know, whole books of the first few books memorized. Um, and then they'd get even more advanced as they were, you know, young adults or later teenagers. But um, what is the Shema? It's not religion. It's God's identity statement. Hmm. It's actually God's emphatic identity statement. It's not. It's not religious norms. It's not even. Um, uh, what's the word? Indoctrination. Religious indoctrination. It's. It's the. It's the chesed identity piece that you. That everywhere you go, you're coming and going. You're sleeping and rising. You're on the way. Repeat these things. And we always. It's such a bummer, you know. Just being in a postmodern Western mind, you read decrees and commands because that's what it says. Write these decrees and commands on your heart, and we just read it so mechanically. It's like, oh, it's rules. Now you're talking religion, mm-hmm. and God's like, no, this is exactly like you said, Beto. This is how I will relate to humanity, and this is how you are to relate to me. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to get it is if you focus on reality. You got to be focused on reality. Another wiser person said that the Bible is the ultimate reality. So mm-hmm. if the Bible is really just you know channeling Jesus, who Jesus is, it's the ultimate reality. 
I'm taking notes, man. Yeah, I just love good. that stuff. And and I, so I do believe God wants us to affirm his truths, right? Write them on our heart. And so one of the things we do to tackle this and to keep our focus on truth is is every single day we're affirming God's truth over our family and over yeah. our children. And that's how we're integrating it and passing yeah. it down to them and trying to surround them with it. And so they've got these things memorized, right, that – um, you know, we can do all things mm-hmm. through God who gives, through Christ who gives us strength. Uh, nothing can separate us from God's love. Um, it's the cutest thing ever when they say, and are called according to his purposes because we love God and are called according to his purposes, right? My little six year old. That's awesome. I mean, but, but so, so saying these things and writing these things down, um, right? God spoke the world into creation with words and, and he gave us his written words. I mean, we're made in his image. There's got to be power behind words and, and writing. That's good. What's interesting, the, the so word good. authenticity, right, the etymological root of it comes from the same concept as the word author, right? So this mm-hmm. notion of both what is authored in us, right, but what, is, what are we authoring? You know, what are the stories that we're carrying that we're kind of telling forward? Um, and I love, you know, what, what you're saying with, with my kids every night. You know, I go through some of the different uh, kind of uh, identities of the, the terms that people use to, wow. to describe God. So talk about Jehovah Jireh, right, kind of God yeah. as provider. Abba, Father, right? We just kind of go through and break down because it gives us a sense of this is our relationship. This is what we can expect of God, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of fun. You know, it's a good reminder for me as I'm saying it, reminding myself, you know, my kids are kind of remembering, you know, and then going mm-hmm. through some of the terms used for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And Do you think of any good resources for, for us or for parents out there to share with their children on these things? I bet someone does, but I just wanted to affirm what Andy just said there about story. That was a key word that just jumped out. Narrative scripts, um, those things. That, yeah. That's what did, that's what Shema is. That's what I was meaning to actually say is that it's a story. It's a, it, as that as that chapter continues. Ben, I've heard you talk about Shema and even Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy six many times. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the verses says, "And when your kids ask, what is this thing, mom and dad, that we're repeating?" You'll answer, you were slaves in Egypt, you were liberated yeah. from Egypt. It's a story. Yeah. That's all it is. It's yeah. a story, but it's not, you know, yeah. it's not just, Egypt isn't just this maybe kid's fairy tale. It ends up being the, the memorial, you know, message of God's entire redemptive history is that you, you watch out in this world, you have the constant balancing act of slipping into captivity or, or choosing freedom and restoration. And so the story and narrative scripts become so critical for that. And, and I think kids have to know that, you know, that's, there's those suggestions are always going to be laid out for them. The suggestion to, of a comparison, comparison is suggestion. It's just yeah. a, it's an, it's just a teed up for, you know, you can opt into this or what God says about you. Yeah. Would you say there's any <clears throat> healthy comparison? Cause when you're, yeah, you're bringing up, too. yeah, I want to talk about well, that. Well, because you brought up, you know, how the kids, they used to memorize all these scriptures by heart right. and you tell that to a kid today. I mean, they'd be like, are you nuts? But to <laughs> compare, not to make them feel less than, but to show them what's possible. I, I, I don't have a huge script on this, but I'm just glad I was going to, I wanted to go there too, because this episode could just be the negative, you know, yeah. side of comparison. You, t- you, you hit this, Andy, and I want to go hear from you and anyone else. Um, but there, you also acknowledge the upside of it. Like if there, it, it, part of comparison is influence. Yeah. So actually if there's people that you want to quote unquote use today's term, like level up and it's healthy, you're not demeaning yourself yeah. and you're not tearing down your identity as an image bearer. Um, like that's, pro- that's the topic I, I want to hear more about. Like that people probably yeah. cover less because it's all evil. It's all demonized. But what about like point. influence that's. You know, so you or even I mean, for our kids, par- like how can we get our kids to like have that level of influence? Mm-hmm. The par- parable of the talents. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to be the guy who buries his one talent. We yeah. want to be the guy with ten talents that is given ten more. Yeah. 
So what, what is some of the psych on that, Andy? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the motivation in, you know, what's driving the comparison, right? If it's trying to fill, you know, mm. kind of self-worth, it's a bad place to go. Mm. Um, you know, we use story all the time to motivate people, right? We tell a story of someone that overcame significant adversity. You know, a lot mm. of the family yeah. stories that we share are meant to inspire, right? That we've experienced that we're not perfect, you know, but, you know, we're developing resilience as part of our identity, so I think understanding what am I using this comparison for, kind of going into it, is this, you know, meant as me trying to draw upon other people's success so that I can kind of, you know, relate this to, you know, how can I personalize this, right? It's not about trying to, to do what they do. You know, you know, my, my grandpa was a hugely influential person in my life and, and was very successful in business. He had a, you know, um, and people a lot of times will say when they, you know, he, I don't know if my, my grandpa was Carl Karcher, so he started Carl's Jr., Right. Oh, no so, way. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Wow. I didn't realize that. And people often assume naturally through that, right? Oh, it must have been so difficult growing up in a shadow, right? That he was so successful, he probably felt like he had to measure up. I never felt that. As my grandpa was so secure in who he was, right? When I was around him, I felt like I was the most important person in the room. And there's all kinds Damn. of stories, right? That he just, I've been around people that are successful and their ego is massive, right? Mm-hmm. They're constantly trying to tell you how great they are and how wonderful they are. And it yeah. can make you feel insecure, right? You kind of, but- when you're around someone that feels secure in themselves, right? He spent most of his time asking me questions, trying to draw me out. And it made me feel like I could start to figure out what was authored in me. Wow. We got to, I'm so so glad you came back to security, Andy, because that Benny, I think truly that's one of the mega nuggets from this entire episode. Um, Because let me just paraphrase something you just said. You could be in a room and our kids, all this applies to our kids. So we can drill really deep about just parenting. That's fine. But (laughs) every human being of any age, you can be in a room with an egomaniac, right? Like just, and they could be as rich or as famous of whatever in the whole world. What our probably, if I assume our mutual goal in this room is that our kids can sit in that room and just be like, like it's, it was a blast and I loved it and dad and I enjoyed it and it was so killer. And look at all the stuff I learned and nowhere in the report back to us, they say, oh, I'm just like, but I'm, I'm wondering if God has a plan for me and I'm feel, I walked away feeling really less than and in other words, we, our hope is that our kids can just be sit with anyone and walk away. I know they're just like, I just have this image. I can't put into words, but like this happy go lucky kid. That's just like, I know who I am before God. Like I know about my standing before God all day, every day. And so if I get to meet some crazy people along the way, cool. But I'm like, I'm just neutral. Like I'm just stone cold, secure in my, in my identity in, in Christ. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. I don't know if you're familiar. And again, I can't remember if we talked about this, but the, the psychology of uncertainty and kind of what uncertainty does to us, right? No, we didn't really talk about that. So our brain recognizes uncertainty as like fear or anxiety, right? So when we tend to experience it. Now, oddly, there there actually is healthy uncertainty, right? There's anticipation of, you know, whether it's a prize or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But oftentimes it's really seen as as a threat. And so then it tends to put us in kind of our amygdala, our primitive part of the brain, Mm -hmm. so that we're in a state of survival, right? We're essentially in our lizard brain. Um, and so we're in a self, state of self-preservation and that makes us by, by definition, almost like very self-focused, right? So Absolutely. that we're thinking every, a lot of things are a threat when they're not, we're ready to, you know, go on the attack or we're kind of constricting and retreating within ourselves. So, you know, and there's different forms of uncertainty, right? There's financial uncertainty and there's relationship mm-hmm. uncertainty. And if you've experienced any of these, you know that they can be debilitating, right? It can just make you feel sick to your stomach and it can consume you. It can kind of just really hijack your brain. Mm-hmm. But the research shows that the most debilitating form of uncertainty is probably one you guys have never heard of. We talked about it briefly earlier, but self-uncertainty. 
because you can't yeah. escape yeah. yourself, right? You're constantly in your own head. Wow. And so the, the idea of when you feel self-uncertain, it feels so overwhelming. We wow. feel this, this urge to, to try and resolve it. If we don't have the answers within, if we don't have the answers in the Bible, then we will naturally start to attach our identity to what we do our yeah. income. And I think wow. all that does, right? So let's say that our identity is attached to our income. And so we get, you know, a huge sell and we start making a lot of money. It creates a, an extrinsic that we get a hit of dopamine yeah. when we get that. Mm. But what happens when the dopamine wears off? Cause it doesn't last very long, yeah. right? It goes away and there's nothing to prop us up. And so mm. guess what we, we need more of, right? We constantly need more and more. And that, that tends to lead to a lot of really, really toxic, unhealthy oh, social yeah. comparison. Mm. And it puts us in a state that we are uh, very um, insecure, mm-hmm. right? And anything that gets in the way of us getting money or whatever that thing is, is going to see as a threat to our identity and it's going to be reacted to very harshly. Mm. And so I think that's why resolving and being able to get, you know, like what I experienced, I believe with my grandpa, he was so clear on his values, right? Mm. He was such a principles driven man. He knew what wow. was important to him. And because of that, he felt secure. He, he kind of felt safe and trusted, right? He knew where his value came from, from God. He spent an hour in prayer every morning, you know, he was in mass every day. And, mm. um, and, and because of that, when you feel secure within yourself, it gets you out of that, the amygdala and allows you to operate in your prefrontal cortex. And that's where you can really, um, it's like you open up where if self-preservation puts you in a state of contraction where you're preserving and defending, being in a self-certain secure place allows you to expand. And now you're able to be generous, right? Now, now you're outward focused. Wow. Like, how can I love? How can I bring generosity? Wow, how can wow. I do those things? Can you come and speak to my real estate team about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Yeah. It, it <laughs> really powerful. is. It's, it's where you, you reach, you know, kind of your full potential. I mean, I think it's opposite where God. What I love to hear about that because I mean, I'm, I'm studying abundance and people are operating from a place of abundance huh. and faith. And I mean, I know we've been jumping into a lot of Deuteronomy here, so I may have to introduce Deuteronomy 8 to us but right it's where where god led uh the israelites right for 40 years and mm-hmm. and he fed them from mana from heaven right a food previously unknown as he repeats yeah. to their ancestors and it's just like our, our our faithful provider you know we're living in faithful abundance right and then when when remember when that he's the one who gives us the power to do these things because of an agreement he made with our ancestors. And then when we come to this land of milk and honey and abundance, when we do arrive, that's the time to be, to remember and obey. Mm. Remember that it was the Lord thy God and not our own hand that brought us this great wealth. But it's about that walk and that journey that God faithfully provided every morning. Mm. They woke up to that mana from heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, so I think what I'm hearing is, and, and maybe you, you can, you guys can chime in, but just to kind of capture some of these things, because I feel like this is an episode that I'm going to have to go back and listen to about 10 times just to get all of it. <laughs> um, but what I'm hearing is that so much of what uh, resolves or helps us grow out of comparison, at least the unhealthy traits or side effects is, is are we secure and are we secure in who we are and how do we get secure? We have to know who we are and how do we know who we are? We have to know who God says we are. Mm. Um, and that obviously you'll, you'll experience the, um, the shaking off of the habitual tendencies to compare through that process, which is a journey. But would there be anything else that you guys feel like you might want to include to kind of cap this conversation? How do we pass that on to our children? Right. I think it's so relevant here and you brought bringing that up. It's like, yeah, that has to be our ultimate goal. Yeah. And Ben, your description of your kids sitting in any room at neutral, like, man, like, 
how much I want that for my children. So, yeah. yeah. I, well, I think we've been answering it this whole time. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, um, and a lot of it has to do with security, in my opinion. Well, the answer, one of the mm-hmm. fundamental answers to comparison is really security. And Andy's helped us a ton t- talking yeah. about attachment, talking about mm-hmm. view, self, your view of yourself and mm-hmm. uh, values, being values driven. And, and <clears throat> you guys have all affirmed that and said it in different ways. Um, so I think if anyone poured over the episode again, they could find those outline yeah. like seven things that are really good. <laughs> um, the, the last thing I saw from your notes, Ben, that I think is a, a worthwhile end cap. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have the answer per se, but you did ask a question about um, comparison uh, p- between parents, mm-hmm. parenting comparison. That's at least how oh, I read yeah. it. And I think that's, that's right. a really good one because, yeah. and again, we've touched on it because it, it often arises from social media and we've talked about how you can feel okay as an, a parent is also an individual. So how you can feel okay about yourself as an individual. We've, you know, danced mm-hmm. around it, but I, I'd love to hear anyone's input um, and concluding thoughts on that as well, because that's such a death trap, you know, like we're, you, you hit it, George, talking about how they look perfect and then you go over to their house and <laughs> you get a more accurate view kind of, but still, how do we, what would you guys say about uh, between parents and family systems? You know, like even we look at each other's mission statements with legacy makers and we're like, you know, because it's very, at least when you're in a group setting, because they're always usually done in groups, mm-hmm. you get to see people's final yeah. draft of their values and their mission and vision. And like, even then it can be like, oh, you know, their mission vision sucks. You know, like why? <laughs> you know, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. And then I'll let, this is not even profound, but it's profound what Andy said. And it, and I, I heard this from Mike Erie as well about judgment. So he, he's, he does this whole Bible study on, uh, you know, Jesus, remember Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, do not judge lest ye be judged, and the same standard you use. It's a Greek word, krino. And he backs up, before talking about good judgment and bad judgment, like how to discern some stuff is bad and you should judge it, and some stuff is good, and we, you know, we could embrace it. Um, he backs up and he totally, he, someone helped him with the psychology, Andy, and they were like, why are we putting people down? And he, and he said just what you said, because we're getting a dopamine hit. And, we, and I think that's probably step one. Like it doesn't tell you exactly how to fix it, but it is an awareness level where it's like, I'm speaking to Ben Appleby now, like, why am I judging someone else's mission vision statement? Like what am I getting? Maybe I'm getting a dopamine hit from it. And like, what's up with that? You know? So I guess I would kick it first to Andy and then anyone else who wants to help parents between parents. But you said one thing you said already to answer it was like, it wears off Ben, you know, or listener, um, it's going to wear off. So, so am I led to deduce if I filled in the dot, 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 it would be like better find other healthy ways to, to stimulate that, you know, that feeling, not, not like one drug for another drug, but you know, I think part of what you're saying, even about your grandfather is like, you need to be fed, you know, is it, what what, what do you think about that whole comparison parents and dopamine? Yeah. Love that. You know, (laughs) it was reminding me. So I think the pathway towards security really is just knowing your value, know what's important. And the more you reinforce that, the more you feel like you do daily things that just help you move towards it. The research is is probably the healthiest way to develop self-worth and self-esteem, right? There's even some people who have said that self-worth, self-esteem should probably be reconceptualized as as a values alignment, you know, kind of experience. Um, I think beyond that, you know, where where I think we find identity is a lot of times in our character and our character strengths. You know, you look at Mm. the story of Gideon, you know, and I love that, that Gideon didn't see you know, who it was that God was saying he was. And so the angel came down and she spoke and said, you're a man of valor, right? Spoke wow. to his character. And when he accepted that, then that revealed his purpose and destiny. So, so love that. Wow. Um, you know, I think it's also important, you, you mentioned this earlier um, about this idea of reality. And so I think sometimes, you know, the, the ability to say, you know, where am I at? What are my strengths? And you're comparing yourself, hopefully, to your, where you're at in the present and then the aspiration of where you're hoping to go. And, and having a growth mindset in that, right? Mm. That who you are today is not a fixed entity, right? It's a, it's a process. And so mm. the more that you keep in, in front of you that, hey, I'm trying to grow my 
you know, courage, my gratitude, you know, whatever those things are, and then having a plan for that. You know, the, the research even around identity and personality um, says that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people assume that who you are is, is kind of set. So, you know, that you don't really change your personality and, and that, that's nonsense, mm. right? The, the research shows over a five-year period, you know, we change quite over a 10-year period. We can change, you know, dram- dramatically. Wow. But the people who change the most over that period of time in a way that's really gratifying and fulfilling, it's they have a clear self-goal, right? They've developed a, like almost a relationship with their future self. So they know where they're going, right? Instead of just kind of letting the winds blow them this way or that way. I love that. And you look at examples in the Bible. I mean, it was sometimes often the ones that would be deemed unqualified were the ones that God chose, right? And it was all of David's brothers that were brought forth and and God rejected, but then said, you know, he he chose David, who was the least, you know, physical of them all, right? And he said, you have all judged by their exterior, right, comparison, and but I, I look upon the heart, right? But then you mentioned another powerful word, uh, gratitude, and this is actually something that I, I wrote down here that I'm just reading my notes. It's I wrote the uh, comparison game is where the devil creates is what the devil creates to make us ungrateful yes. Yes. and unworthy of the gifts wow. that God has so given good. us. The devil really used even that initial Adam and Eve, right, to come in and to disrupt, right, the relationship between and kind of got them to start to want to have the knowledge of God, right? So yeah. get them to question who they were and to want more. Um, and so I think that I totally agree. I think the devil knows that if you can get someone to start to second guess their identity and their value, yeah. you know, that's the easiest way to start to manipulate someone. Mm. You, know, you think about kids sometimes when, you know, someone wants to get their friend to do something that might be foolish, you know, they start to say, what are you, chicken? And yeah. so, you know, I don't want to be seen as a chicken. Yeah. So you end up start making choices that you oh, probably are not in your best self-interest. Love the story of David just briefly too. I think mm. part of the, the profoundness in that is that God, you know, was developing certain strengths in David um, as, a, as a shepherd, right? That he had mm. been learning how to perfect what rocks to pick, you know, the sling and arrow. And then when he said he was going to fight Goliath, they initially tried to put him in a, a Roman yeah. soldier's outfit, right? If he tried to fight Goliath in that, I think he would have been slayed immediately. Right. <laughs> but David knew who he was, right? And yeah. he trusted the, the gifts and the strengths that God had been building in him. And he understood, right, that in using those gifts, mm. that that's how he was going to slay Goliath. And I think that's important for all of us, whether this is with our kids, right? What are the unique, what's, what's unique to them, right? Not what are the expectations or what do I think? You know, the, the other kids' neighbors, like, what are the strengths that they have? Um, you know, how do I help them to find their unique gifts and help them to use those, right? And understand, you know, what are the Goliaths that they can slay when they start to to, to, to use the, the gifts mm-hmm. that God is building within them? Yeah, and a lot of David's writings and the Psalms, I mean, Psalm 23, for example, we've discussed before, yeah. was self, self-talk, self-hype, yeah. affirming God's promises to him, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow yeah. of death, I will fear no evil, right? Ooh. My cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? So mm-hmm. if he was listening to any of the noise or comparing himself to all those soldiers out there or, oh, I need to wear uh-huh. that heavy armor that's going to weigh me down, he was so dialed in the truth mm. and focused on that, that he was able to step into his true power and identity, right? His authentic self and slay Goliath. This will be my, this will, this will be my ending comment, Ben. And, right. just, and this is just a, just a payback on what these two guys just said. Um, it comes from some psych book. We can maybe post it to the show notes or something, but they talk about the, in this one book, they talk about the author and he was an Olympic archer. And um, when he was training for archery and he'd hit bullseyes, he would self-talk. That's the principle that you said, Andy, and then you said, George. Um, he'd say, that's who I am. 
Ooh. Wow. Yeah, that's what you said, Andy, which is a sick comment. You need to have a conversation with your future self that, that you're becoming, <laughs> yes. who you are becoming. Yeah. And that is so sick. And it's spiritual and psychologically, to a, to in, intimately psychological and spiritual. And that one really quick, quick hack for um, the self-talk yeah. specifically is when you catch yourself acting good. I mean, just, good guys, if someone's listening and they're like, oh, that's self-help, that's be Just... Stop, you yeah. know, you're yeah. just getting in your own way. Just yep. stop with those stupid, you know, rules that you picked up from someone that said that I that was bad. like that. Yeah, I know. We all did. We all, it's like this, this, uh, uh, you know, self-imposed austerity. Like we can never bless ourselves or mm. count our blessings or, yep. or count, say it was a win or take credit even for a win yeah. or success, even remotely, even though God it's gets false the glory. Humility. Right. So you just be able to be comfortable. This is my last word to mm. anyone listening. When you get a win and it's, and you see yourself performing or acting or speaking the way you're trying to the person you're supposed to become, just a simple script to say to yourself, because that's who I am or Dang. yes, that's who I am. That. And that wow. is insane. Wow. Anything from you, Beto, last minute? Last Last minute, man. I don't know if I can do last minute. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's just... Okay, I have a few ideas that popped up that Let's I go. would probably just, just say this is my last thought. Um, one is the idea, as you're talking about, uh, the the not your true north. Like, true north could be faked into something that's not true north. So, therefore, it's a, it's a false identity. And I, when immediately, as you said, like, your false identity, I feel like that's idol worship and i was reading this book that said uh the main three idols the western world is facing is power money and sex so how do we assess uh how do we assess what true north is if true north could be a, a negative or a false true north right and i was thinking okay how how do we assess so one thing that came to mind was uh, Jesus was affirmed by the Father, right? So how can we, uh, what you're saying, uh, Greg, right? Like, uh, I mean, George, how can we affirm our kids? Well, G- uh, Jesus was affirmed by the Father. When he's baptized, he's affirmed. This is my son in whom I'm pleased, right? Uh, so affirm our kids. And then how can we help them differentiate between the the true intentions and motives of their hearts I think what's been helpful for me has been the the difference between goodness and being right. And this is not my idea. This is no, I, I was reading a book by Erwin McManus, and he says uh, sometimes you know if you don't know how to differentiate between being right and doing good, it's like good. It's always for others, and being right is usually about yourself. So when mm. when when I was thinking that process, how can I identify like the true north? I feel like it's always other focused. It's it's focused on on on, so on the other people. And the That's last abundance. thing. <laughs> wow. So the last thing is, as I'm thinking of that, I'm like, wow, the like you know you were talking about the devil and you know, maybe these lies that he puts in our mind. So isn't he a little bit like the like the AI algorithm? Like he learns what we like. He learns how we're res- going to respond to things, and then he. He, he yeah. asks the question, right? So imagine Jesus' temptation, which, by the way, comes right after he's been affirmed by the Father and baptized. And then he goes through the temptations, right? And the wow. temptations, it's, it's basically tempting the affirmation that he just received. And the temptations, if you realize, I mean, 
Jesus responds back with with the word, with scripture, and then the devil's like, okay, he learned the algorithm and then responds with scripture, right? So at that point, uh, is the difference between between goodness and being right? Because now you're being tempted with scripture, wow. right? So how do you differentiate between what seems right and what is good? And it's other focus. Like if if you can get get um the sense of like is this helping myself only or is this helping somebody else mm -hmm. so if we help our kids see the bigger picture and it's not all about you mm -hmm. right um i think that that's where it comes down to when i think of how do i pass it oh, on to my kids so good man pretty good Beto's always coming in with the bombs at yeah. the end yeah. <laughs> so nourishing this is I gonna just close to my eyes and listen to him yeah <laughs> <laughs> right so good Beto oh man well make sure you guys go back and listen to this episode I'm gonna have to put it on like half speed because it's there's so many good things in this in this show right now um just so thankful for you guys input and you sharing and and all just the valuable nuggets and gold mine of of just information and powerful tools and and ways of thinking that that everybody needs to equip themselves with and so i'm excited to just to release this show and, and get it out there so thank you all so much and thank you everybody who listened we hope you enjoyed the show we'll see you next time Legacy Makers, we are igniting a movement of families living on purpose so that every generation should set their hope anew on God. And you choosing to listen to this episode today is only going to further that movement and further the development of the legacy you will leave for generations. So thank you for being a part of that. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a legacy maker, go to www.chooseourlegacy.com where you're going to find resources and tips and next steps to continue building the legacy that you intend to leave. You can also follow us on all social platforms at Legacy Maker Families. Thank you so much again for listening and now go love your family.